Okay, so we are in, this is the week of a double Parsha, as last week was as well. This is the two Parshas of Achraimais and Kedoshim. Whenever there's a double Parsha, the moving from one to the other, so to speak, always occurs on Wednesday, meaning Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday is always the first Parsha. Wednesday is always the end of the first at the beginning of the second. And Thursday, Friday, and Shabbos is always the second Parsha. So today we have the second Parsha, the beginning of it, meaning the very beginning of it was yesterday, and now we continue. So we're in now Parsha's Kedoshim from this combined Parsha of Achimos Kedoshim. We're in chapter 19, we're up to verse 15. Now the entire Parsha's Kedoshim is Moshe telling lots and lots and lots of laws, like very small mini sentences almost, to the Jewish people. That's why it says it's, it's such a holy parsha. Most of the Torah, so to speak, is, is implied or alluded or referenced in these many, many, many laws. So, verse 15, you shall not do wrong in justice, you shall not favor a poor man, you shall not honor a great man, with righteousness you shall judge your fellow. So Rashi says, when it says you should not do wrong in justice, this teaches us that a judge who perverts the judgment is called someone who's doing something wrong, and then Rashi gives many other words, a wrongdoer, hateful, repulsive, banned, an abomination, and then Rashi gives many quotes to prove that. So in other words, we're saying here that when a person, when the judge judges wrongly, this tremendous, tremendous evil is viewed by God. Don't favor a poor person, meaning you shouldn't say, listen, he's poor. The rich person has to support him. If I have here a case in front of me between a rich person and a poor person, I'll make the poor person win. So then he'll get money from the rich person in a very honorable way. In the end of the day, anyway, the rich person is supposed to support him. No, you are the judge. The poor person's guilty. You've got to pronounce him guilty. Don't worry about the other financial issues involved. You should not honor a rich, a great person. So similarly, a person shouldn't say, listen, this person's so rich. He's a son of great people. He has tremendous ancestry. How can I humiliate him by ruling against him? That's wrong. I, I will be punished for, for, for humiliating such a great person. No, same idea. You've got to be an honest judge. If he, Yes, he's a great, amazing, wonderful person with the most noble ancestry. But if right now he should lose your case, then he has to lose the case. And don't worry about it. Don't make these other thoughts that would make you pervert the judgment. With righteousness, you should judge your fellow. So Rashi explains this two ways. The, the simple meaning. So according to the simple meaning, with righteousness refers to the judge. Be fair in judging any case that comes before you, which is what we've just been saying. But there's a second interpretation, which is judge your friend favorably. Give him the benefit. In other words, when something in his conduct is questionable, give him the benefit of the doubt. So here when we're saying with righteousness shall you judge your fellow, with righteousness isn't about the judge, it's about the person being judged. If you have to judge the conduct of someone else, attribute to this other person the attribute of righteousness. Next verse. You should not go about gossiping among your people. You should not stand over the blood of your friend. I am God. So the verse says, I mean, in English, we translate it as don't go about gossiping, which is Yes, that, that is what it means, and you have a very complex Rashi to bring you to understand that that's what these words mean, because in the Hebrew it says, Lo rachil. Don't go as a rachil. So what's a rachil? The Rashi explains 
that someone who goes about and says Lashon Hara and says malicious talk, what he's doing is such a person who's into this goes out the people's houses and he tries to spy out in Hebrew is to be miragel, what bad he sees, what bad he hears, then he can go about and spread it. So such people are going about, it's called he's going about as a rachil. Rachil is like the word ragil. In other words, don't go about gossiping is linguistically like ragil. don't go about spying. Because these professional gossipers our professional spies seeing and hearing things to then be able to repeat them. So now what the Rashi does for the bulk of the Rashi is show that Rachil, the word in our Pasuk, is like the word Rugil for spying. And the Rashi says it's true in spelling. Obviously there's just a one letter difference between the two, the Chaf and the Gimel. And it's also in pronunciation. The Chaf of Rachil and the Gimel of Rugil are coming from the same place. They're all called letters of the palate, palatal. So since they're coming from the same place in a certain way in the Hebrew language, they can be transposed. Um, as Rashi goes into this at length, speaking about all the different parts, the letters and how they are connected because they're formed in the same part of the of the mouth and therefore they have this ability to be transposed. Like Alfechasanayan are all guttural letters, the letters of the throat, Dalit test, nun, and stuff are all letters of the tongue, right? We form them with the tip of our tongue. Dentals, Zion, Stamach, Sadik, Resh and Shin are all they're all letters of the teeth, and bays of mem and fei are all the letters of the lips. So the letters we're focusing on, gimel, yud, chaf, and kuf, are letters of the palate. So that's why we're looking here at this idea, and we're saying that these two words, rachil and rachil, because they have such a bond in terms of how they're you know, filtering through your experience that they really both are sound similar. They come from the same place in in the in the mouth. They're both coming from the palate. So therefore they can be transposed and the meaning is very similar. Because we're saying that Rachil means to gossip, coming from the word Rugil, which means as we're saying, the spy. So it's a very similar meaning. As one spies to gossip. And spies in a gossip. Now, the Targum translates this phrase as don't eat of winking. Which means, so the wink is like slandering. So we're saying like he winked against him means he slandered him. Now, Rashi says, it seems to me, the practice was that someone who's, you know, this professional gossiper going around to gossip, he will eat something in every house of where he's gossiping. And this eating is like an affirmation. Yes, it's true. I'm vouching for my words. So this eating is called the eating of winking. 
because when someone gossips, they usually wink with their eyes to sort of communicate by the gesture that, you know, what I'm saying is just between the two of us and no one should understand, but you understand what I mean. We're in this together. We're so cool. Wink, wink. So that winking, you might think of this as a, a modern communication technique, but Rashi's talking about this, so he's writing this a thousand years ago, and he's referring to these quotes from the Pesukim and from the Gemara that are about a thousand years before that. So the idea of the wink-wink affirmation of like just the two of us understand this wink-wink, we're slandering other people, but we're in the know and nobody else's wink-wink has been around definitely as far as we go back to Targum Onkelos, to the Talmud, etc. So this is again the the Lose Lehurachil, according to Onkelos, this eating of winking that Onkelos is referring to, which Rashi says, is what would happen after the gossiper shared the gossip. He would eat something with that wink-wink to affirm what he said was true. Don't stand on the blood of your friend, meaning don't see if someone if someone's about to die and you could save him, but you don't. You know, someone's drowning in the river. You can swim. There's a wild animal attacking him. There's bandits attacking him. In these cases, don't just stand there. Do something. I am God. So why are we at I am God here? He's saying, I'm faithful to reward you. I'm faithful to punish you. I'm telling you, protect someone else's life. If you can't be bothered, don't want to get involved, think it might look a little dangerous, I'm God. I understand everything you're doing and I appreciate it. And if you don't do it, I'll punish you. I'm God. I see what's happening and I know you're capable, so help this other person. The next verse, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall reprove your fellow, and you shall not bear a sin because of him. So this is saying, now this is actually, I mean, Rashi just explains, there's three phrases here. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Next phrase, give him rebuke. Third phrase, don't bear a sin because of him, which Rashi says, don't embarrass him publicly. That would be bearing a sin because of him. So Rashi doesn't explain, but these three phrases are actually also referring to the whole process of rebuking because we have, as the verse says, you must, the middle phrase of these three, you must surely rebuke your friend. This is an obligation. It's a literal commandment that if you see someone doing something wrong, you have to rebuke them. You have to tell them. But that commandment is preceded by don't hate him, meaning you see someone doing something wrong, but you don't have good, warm, positive feeling to the other person, you can't rebuke him because he's going to sense your ego. He's going to sense your, your annoyance with him, your animosity, your negative feelings. He won't be able to accept your words of rebuke. But if you start off by really trying to love him and to have warm feelings for him and to be very positive, and then you give him the rebuke, he can accept it. And if he doesn't accept it, we go to the third phrase, don't bear on him a sin, meaning, well... Because you didn't work hard enough to really feel love, therefore you couldn't accept your rebuke. Therefore, now he's continuing to sin. And it's, it's, it's now partially your problem because your rebuke wasn't coming enough from your heart. So therefore, you have to work even harder to pull out more love for him in a very inner way in your heart. So therefore, you could give him your rebuke from a very inner space of really loving him. And therefore, you, again, won't hopefully bear the sin. Okay, next verse. 
You shall not take revenge. You shall not bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am God. Of course, it's a very famous phrase. There are many famous such phrases in this parsha. So again, here we also have three stanzas within this one verse. Don't take revenge. Don't bear grudge. And love every Jew as you love yourself. And then concluding again, I'm God. So Rashi explains what's the difference between revenge and a grudge. Rashi actually spends a long time explaining this to us. Revenge means one man says to the other, lend me your sickle. And he says, no. The next day, the second man says to the first, lend me your hatchet. And he says, no, I'm not lending it to you, just like you didn't lend me your sickle yesterday. That's revenge. What's bearing a grudge? Bearing a grudge is one man says to the other, lend me your hatchet. And he says, no. The next day, the second one says to the first, lend me your sickle. And he says, hey, I'm not like you. You didn't lend me your hatchet, but I'm lending you my sickle. That's bearing a grudge, meaning literally you're keeping, you're guarding the grudge because you keep the bad feelings in your heart. You don't take revenge. You did lend the tool, but you did it while you still guarded all the enmity, guarded all the bad feelings. So those are the things are literally biblically prohibited. And then in the same verse it says, you should love your fellow as yourself, which Rashi comments here with the famous quote from Rabbi Akiva, this is the great rule of the Torah. That, of course, this is a, a foundational perspective on the entire Torah, especially all commandments that are interpersonal, that we have to work to really love every single Jew literally as we love ourselves. We have to understand that from a full perspective, we're all one, we're all the same. We're all peace of God. We can't even imagine the infinitesimal worth of every single Jew. Who knows how high and lofty is the soul, how precious the soul is to God. And therefore, just as I love myself, that same self-love, I have to extend to every other Jew because every other Jew is self. What's my essence self? My soul, God. And that's true for every other Jew. So when I look at a Jew this way, I'm not distracted by all the differences between us. I don't see them. I just focus on the commonality. We're all literally the same piece of God.